I'm James, and this is the Chats with James podcast. In this episode, I'm chatting with Lachazar Lechev. This episode was recorded on the 23rd of December, 2020. For more episodes and show notes, please visit jamesmunns.com chats. New episodes of the podcast are released every Tuesday. Enjoy. Special thanks to Louis Zong for the music. So cool. Do you want to give your... So I know we've talked a little bit on Twitter and things like that before, and I think a little bit in maybe Mountain Matrix, but definitely on Twitter. But do you want to give a short intro for yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, Lechazar. I'm from Bulgaria, and I've started with a couple of other people. I started the IROST working group, and it's almost one year since we started it. So <laughs> yeah, we'll have anniversary soon. So that's great. Very cool. And is the Aero, so the Aero Rust project is for Rust in avionics areas, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's it's too too big of an area to focus on one thing. I wanted to I wanted it to be uh, as general as possible and see how this uh, will get us to uh, yeah space or drones or whatever. Very cool. Is that something that's coming from a hobby of yours, or do you did you work in that area before? Uh, definitely hobby. I wanted to start work in that area, but I saw that, uh, yeah, except if you're not in the US or something like that, it's really hard to find jobs in uh, EU or something like that, especially with Rust. Uh, so I thought, yeah, maybe a working group should do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I've, I've worked in avionics before, but I know basically anyone who supplies anything near the U.S. military probably requires that you are a U.S. citizen before they'll talk or work with you, unfortunately. And then yeah. finding avionics and rocketry companies outside of the U.S. is always a bit more challenging as well. Yeah. Funny thing, uh, when I was researching uh, the European Space Agency, uh, they have a clause that says basically that uh, only a member states, I think it was called, so uh, states that have signed some document can apply for those jobs, which mm. excludes Bulgaria because we haven't signed it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and that was out of the question. And I think that that was the point where I decided, okay, maybe it's time to take a step back and take it to open source and make a working group or something uh, to... Yeah. to combine all those people that, that are interested in the topic. Yeah, it makes sense. So what kind of stuff are you excited about or working on now or stuff that you definitely want to share? Uh, yeah, uh, currently working on Mavlink. Uh, I'm not sure if you know it. It's a drone protocol, yes. I've heard of it. Do you want to give it a quick explanation? Uh, I don't know a lot. <laughs> I'm just starting. <laughs> I'm basically trying to hack my way around it and uh, start hacking with Rust. Uh, the point that I'm really interested uh, right now is uh, with controlling the drone and autonomous autonomous flying and stuff. Uh, I've been reading some uh, NASA documents, some published other uh, research on topics about rovers and autonomously moving on the other planets and so on. 
So this is like the, the main topic that I'm interested, in, especially with uh, space and uh, flying. Is Mavlink uh, like an IP protocol or is it over some kind of like serial bus or something like that? Uh, UDP. Okay. I think cool. it, it also can work with serial, but I haven't got that far. Uh, everything I do uh, from the start, even the, the project before that, that I was working on, uh, is uh, using simulations. And mm. I, I technically don't have any hardware that I can run this on. <laughs> so Who's providing the simulator for this? Or is there just an open source project mm. that's like drone or car simulator kind of thing? <laughs> yeah, there are actually many. Uh, I was surprised the PX4, this is a flight, the flight software. Uh, they, they support various different simulation tools. Uh, one of them is Gazebo, and okay. on the previous project, they also had a Gazebo uh, environment, simulated environment, their own custom one, but uh, still they had uh, Gazebo. So I'm not that familiar with it, but uh, I was really eager to, to get stuff set up, like uh, one command to run the simulation and be ready to code with Rust, basically. <laughs> Cargo simulate, basically, right? <laughs> yeah, I got to this point that uh, I use Docker Compose and okay. just basically gets your services up and running. And uh, on top of that, instead of using the, the raw protocol, which can be tedious from what I saw, uh, it's using a server, an SDK server that uses uh, protobuffers. Okay. Uh, that was all pretty new to me as well. So I just got to the point where I have an example and it can take off, uh, the drone can take off and it's ready to, to be flown. Cool. Does it? How does it do the simulation? Does it have like a browser window that you can see the current state or does it have some other application <laughs> that you can connect to the server and like view in a 3D kind of way? Uh, usually uh, the Gazebo simulation tool has uh, GUI, but mm -hmm. yeah, when you're running in Docker, uh, it's it's running in this headless mode. It's yeah. only uh, terminal, and I haven't got to a point to really connect to it and uh, see it in 3D or something. But I was looking at another tool that PX4 and the ecosystem provides, uh, which is a ground control software. Uh, but yeah. I only connected to the drone, tried to make the video stream work. That didn't work. <laughs> and I'm back to square one. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, so much of that stuff is just like simulators are so helpful. Like most of the companies that I've worked at where we were building something fairly large and complex, especially embedded related, we would have a simulator, especially when that device was Ethernet based because it was so easy to just simulate by having it open up a socket on the computer and then just pretend to do hardware things and it makes development so much faster but sometimes setting up those environments can be a real pain in the butt yeah yeah and as i said i'm really uh, eager to get to this part where i start uh you know doing that part where it autonomously flies away and uh, yeah. meets its destinations or tasks uh, but I'm stuck there. I don't know how to continue with that. So <laughs> it will take some time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't. I hadn't seen Gazebo before. I actually haven't done much drone stuff. So I've done a fair amount of 
there seems to be like a couple waves in terms of like automation and things like that. There seems to be like what a lot of people are using in traditionally in industry, which is like very in-house kind of stuff. And then there's been newer, I feel like research or hobby driven stuff like simulators for drones or even things like Ross, which was traditionally very um, academic. But now you have more and more folks are even like trying to use Ross in production for things because they've taken like the first demo through Ross and then they're like, OK, well, ship it. Like, So it's, it's been interesting to see like a more recent wave of, of off the shelf or open source or research backed sort of technologies taking off in that space. Oh yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's a, a brand new space that I'm trying to get in. So uh, it's it's a lot of information, uh, which is different from what I do at, at work, and it gives me headaches from time to time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun, definitely fun. Uh, it's just uh, too much for one person to do on its own, right? <laughs> yeah. Too many problems and not enough time is is always the <laughs> the big challenge. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. At some point I just started like when I have some idea, like I actually started recently like a lab notebook where I've started writing things down. And in the past, I've always had like a to do list that I know I'm never going to get to all the things on there. <laughs> so like some point in the last year, I started using Twitter more often to just say like, I wish this was a thing. And then sometimes like once or twice, I've had someone be like, oh, cool, I'm going to do that. Like I've been looking <laughs> for a project. I will do that. And I'm like, please let me know. Like. <laughs> I have more ideas than I have time. So like I need to start in my lab notebook, like writing up the ideas at least is like, and like kind of what you run into. Sometimes I start researching it and I hit like one roadblock and I go, all right, I ran out of time. Like it is now Sunday and I like, I wanted to work on this for the weekend and that's really all I had time to work on it. So like, that's sort of why I've started keeping a lab notebook because I sort of am secretly hopeful people will start stealing my ideas because most of the like the stuff is I don't care if I do it I just would love for it to exist kind of things. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and ideas Major are not worth very much. So if I can give them away for free, I'm very happy to. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's been like this for me and the embedded development as a whole. Like I, I'm I've always been interested in it. I've tried to find time. I have some boards laying around, but I don't have time to do it. So I've, <laughs> I haven't done anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a challenge. I mean, like, and there's there's a noticeable gap. So like when I was starting to do Rust, I was trying to do it in my hobby time and it took me, it felt like it took me a very long time to actually like get any of the concepts to click. And it wasn't until like first I started using Rust in a project for work. So I actually got to spend like, more than just one hour a night reading the book or trying to do examples or something like that and actually like focusing on it for a couple solid hours at a time and that helped a lot and then there was the first rust fest and i actually sat down with some of the folks um at rust fest at some of the ample days and like just having someone to talk to for like an hour i was like it made all the ideas click in my head because like i had read about all this stuff but i didn't know how it all fit together so like there was definitely a challenge before I had time to like really focus on that. So if you're mostly doing it as a hobby type project, I can see any topic being hard to get to click before you have time to like actually organize all the ideas in your head and figure out how they're supposed to click together. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, I've had this problem before actually like uh, trying to like, you have your idea in your head and 
the point where you start implementing it, then you hit a roadblock and it's like, how should I do that? <laughs> I yeah. had many of those. And uh, especially when, when I started learning Rust, I started quite a long time ago, but just small pieces. I couldn't understand a lot my first time uh, learning something like system programming. And it was really hard to, to understand, but that's probably before 1.0. So mm. it was a long time ago. <laughs> and yeah, yeah it's, uh, hmm. it's interesting that now uh, like uh, they're proposing a project group. I don't know if you saw it, mm -hmm. but I think it has a really good idea behind it because I think Rust programming can be done very, very intuitive and like a playground or whatever, uh, and have it on steps, basically, uh, depending on, on the, uh, yeah, the expertise of the person working with it. And it can be made a lot more enjoyable to work with, I guess. Not, not even with changing the language itself, but changing the uh, the problems that you're trying to solve. Yeah. Write abstractions. Yeah. Yeah, I know the project has run into a couple, like, I mean, they're good problems, but they're problems. They're, like, problems of scale of, like, cool, you're proposing a change, but now, like, a thousand people, like, even well-meaning people, like, not even trolls or anything like that, just a thousand people want to give you their opinion and advice and thoughts, and, and it's all very well-meaning, but it's very... Like, especially as, as an open source developer, it's super overwhelming. Even, like, just trying to keep up with the notifications and stuff like that is really challenging. So it's been, it's been good to see a couple different approaches being proposed. And I'm interested to see what kind of, like, the long-term shakeout is going to be for Rust of, like, what's the model that works well in those areas? Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, I saw that uh, you you also started uh, a new project, right? Uh, your company, uh, Embedded. Wait, I have it open. Wait, which one? Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Both my uh, personal think... and my company stuff are, <clears throat> we're always starting new stuff. Oh, yeah. Is that Nerling <laughs> guess, or? Uh, Nerling, I think, yes. Yeah. Uh, it was... Yeah, so Nerling is basically, there was a couple things that we found that we needed. So like <clears throat> my company, Ferris, for people, if this gets published as a recording, uh, Ferris is a company that I started a couple years back and we do consulting and uh, we end up helping with a lot of embedded projects. And we were realizing there was a couple tools that we kept needing on, on jobs and working with clients and things like that. And weren't super well supported in rust or like it like or it got to that thing where it was like all the technic the like heavy technical lifting had been done but no one had just put like a nice package around it or things like that like um so there had been a lot of work by folks like the probe rs group of people who have been doing a huge amount of work to develop like uh support for debuggers and support for um, like debugging protocols and things like that and had built some really cool things, but there was a couple like second layer stuff that we kept needing of like the ability to run unit tests on the device or the ability to do logging or like do high performance logging and stuff like that or check for things like stack overflows or set up projects more easily. So Nerling basically started as 
okay, well, we finished one customer project and we kind of came up with an internal list of all the stuff that we wish we had for the next project and then kind of started building that and then published it and wanted to share it. And honestly, if we could spend all of our time building tools that make the ecosystem easier for folks to use, we'd love to do that. So we put up a GitHub sponsors for it so that we can kind of like <coughs> reserve some non-client time to work on those kind of projects. And it's, it's turned out really well. And we've started doing a couple other things in there, like teaching, which kind of relates to the training stuff that we do. And yeah, just general tooling and ideas and stuff we have around there. So I'm not totally sure where Nerling is going to end up, but it's been super fun. And I know all the other folks at Ferris enjoy working on it when we when we have time to work on it. Yeah, uh, like I'm, I'm really happy that somebody is doing that and uh, you're spending time doing this to help everybody. Like I think uh, the more tools, like Rust, definitely Rust is not the end point. Like Rust is another tool and there'll be many more, more tools, especially uh, the needs that are growing and growing, like especially for the space industry. You know, I don't think uh, Rust... Uh, will be the de facto thing at the end. There should be a better way to do some stuff. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's it's a step forward, which I really like. And hopefully, I'm, I'm saying this to myself every goddamn time, like, I want to do some embedded, but I just... I just hope to, to find time. <laughs> it it yeah. seems really fun. Most of the things that, like especially with ProBRS, the debuggers, I have no idea how they are working. Uh, but it seems a lot of fun <laughs> working with hardware. Uh, especially, you know, doing high-performance stuff and uh, this tight budget you have on time, time constraints and memory. Uh, it just seems a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned space. So like the one folk, the one group of folks that I know who are definitely publicly doing stuff in Rust in space are the Cubos folks. Have you ever had a chance to speak with like Ryan Plausch or any of the other folks at Cubos? Uh, yeah, Ryan Plausch. I think uh, he's uh, actually in the... Uh, Sorry, Ryan, yeah. if that's not how you pronounce your name. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sure either. I only know his uh, handler in Discord, so... <laughs> ah, I know but... it on Twitter. He's plow, plow, plow on, on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, I have really bad time with names, so uh, <laughs> keep forgetting. Um, but yeah, he is actually in our Discord server. Uh, oh, cool. I, uh, sadly, uh, the, the the hype around Tyrorust is not that big anymore. Uh, people are are dormant right now, and not a lot of activity is happening in the working group. But you know, I'm. I'm Continuing my work, so <laughs> I hope something comes out of uh, that. Uh, but yeah, I've heard of uh, Kubois. They also have this US citizenship requirement. Oh, and yeah, that's everything. true. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I think, uh, you know, the, sometimes, especially, uh, I think, Zihan, is that how you pronounce him? Uh, Zihan, the, the guy he's oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, making Zibus Brazil. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, he mentioned in one of the uh, in Twitter that Serde is not that uh, maintained anymore, uh, mm -hmm. not very well maintained right now, or it's uh, a bit more dormant than usual. Uh, from one hand, I think that's a good thing. It gives possibilities to other people to build new tools, better tools. Uh, 
Uh, and on the other hand, though, uh, at work, we are also dependent on survey. And there are limitations. There are things that, you know, you wish they could be better. But uh, yeah, this can only happen if a total rewrite happens or a lot of people put a lot of effort to create new thing or just change that thing that exists already. So <clears throat> on the one hand... What, yeah. I'm interested in what limitations you're running into with Serde. So like, I've definitely seen that thread, but I use Serde kind of all over the place. And Serde has been one of kind of the bright spots for me, especially when, when I'm showing people Rust and things like that. Like Serde is usually one of those wow moments when we show people like, look, this is like this. And then you can serialize to any different format, but it's definitely makes sense that at some point someone's going to hit some edge. Like what, what kind of uh, limitations do you run into? Uh, yeah, so you can share those. Maybe, you said it was for work stuff, so yeah. So for the work stuff, uh, let's say it this way: everywhere in our applications, uh, this struct had uh, date times, and they were serialized as millions milliseconds, and they serialized from milliseconds. But one of the JavaScript apps, because it had a bug, let's say, uh, it returned strings instead of milliseconds. So the RFC, uh, I forgot the string RFC. 8601 or uh, 3339? Yeah, I think 3339. And basically I had to make a, a shim for that struct in order to be able to convert the string representation and still be using the same struct everywhere else. Mm. So putting a struct in front of your real struct that can deserialize and serialize from that string timestamp, but then everywhere else in the Rust applications, we can use that uh, main uh, yeah, non-corrupted struct, <laughs> basically. Yeah. But there are a lot of other uh, things, I guess, small things and big ones. Uh, part of them, maybe it's, it's my fault. Uh, I don't... I haven't written Saturday uh, data models or yeah, data models, right? I tried once and I failed. And I think this is the point where I, I think I found the limitation. Uh, the thing I was trying to do is basically if you have a, a byte buffer, right? Uh, every enum uh, corresponds to uh, an index, right? So uh, no, not index, but enumeration. But yep. it was not uh, empty enum. It was filled with information. So I was trying to make a way to deserialize and serialize based on uh, the enumeration of that enum. And long story short, I couldn't figure it out. Uh, Saturday is using, uh, I think, U32 for enumeration of enums. And this was the point where I was trying to somehow handle that enumeration to figure out which enum uh, it should deserialize. Uh, and then that was the point where I said, where I said no, that, that's not going to happen today. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and I yeah, I mean, Rust internally, I think, defines an enum variant as a U32. So I think, like, officially the language says that the enum variant is a U32, but I think there are some niche optimizations where it will make it smaller um i know when i wrote postcard 
I ran into a bit of that trouble because I, when I wanted like postcard is a Saturday backend. So like it, it's a wire format for, uh, that you can use with Saturday and I use it on embedded systems in a bunch of places. And one of the optimizations that I did for that is that it uses varants or, or, uh, there's like an official term like LEB 64 or something like that. It's basically whatever protobuf actually uses for enums as well. Um, yeah. that allows you to like variably in variably length encode, um, or decode data. So like if you have less than 127 enum variants, it will only encode that enum as one byte instead of four bytes for like a U32. Um, and it does the same thing for like slice lengths and things like that. Because a lot of times when you're sending even variably length data across the wire on an embedded system, a lot of times it's less than 127 bytes. So you don't really need like 32 or four or eight bytes for that. And it also let me cheat a little bit and make things work better between 64 and 32 bit machines because they're always... Anything that you would use a U size for, you actually use a varint for, which means as long as you never actually try and send more than 4 billion items to your embedded system, you're going to be fine. Which you probably can't get 4 billion of anything onto your embedded system. So it, it works out like practically very well. But like, I know it's possible to do some stuff like that. But yeah, I definitely remember struggling with that with postcard of like, figuring out especially how all of the like visitor patterns worked and stuff like that and how you like traverse through the data and i remember that being like taking me a while and having to write like i had a version of postcard that just printed whenever it hit like any level of anything and i was like oh okay that's how, like now i understand how it's how it's working through the data and stuff like that yeah well it, it, it takes some time getting used to right <laughs> as everything else <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, interested of what you could improve because like I'm I'm someone who's super happy with Saturday, but like that doesn't mean like you said that there's I, one of the the nice things I like about Rust is that there's very few official libraries for a lot of things, which some people get very frustrated at. But like you said, like that's how you get innovation because if it's like blessed by the standard library, then no one's ever going to change. Like everyone's still going to be using that version 10 years from now. And they're still going to be using 1.0 of that version 10 years from now. And like Saturday is one of the coolest things that I've seen in Rust, but that doesn't mean in three years, there won't be something way better. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah for sure. And I think, you know, Saturday is really nice to, I, I enjoy working with it every day. I get it removes so much of the boilerplate and everything. Um, Maybe it's it's my use cases, or maybe it's the way I like to do stuff in a certain way. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's my fault. <laughs> there's I, there's always room for for something better. You know what I mean? Just because it's sometimes the the only answer that makes sense with an existing tool is don't hold it that way. Which is like, it's a nice answer for maintainers and things like that. Or it might just be like, well, these are the limitations of the design that we've put together and. It doesn't solve 100% of cases, but it does solve like 95, but there's always room for another library that either aims to to go for a bigger subset or a bigger superset, I guess, or just cover the 5 or 10% at the edge that like you say, okay, if you're not doing X, Y, or Z, yeah, use Saturday because you're going to be fine. But if you want to do X, Y, or Z, come use this library because it's like exactly what you want for this, which is something that I also really like in the in yeah. the library ecosystem. Oh, true. 
Oh. Well, uh, I think our time is up, but, uh, you know, I'm a human being and I also wanted to ask you, uh, sure. yeah, what are you going to do on the holidays? Like, uh, taking some time off, It's it was a really long, long and exhausting year. I know you did a lot of stuff as a company, as tools and everything. Uh, I see more and more people, you know, struggling with burnout and uh, things like that, that I've also experienced to some extent. And, you know, maybe you can share how you're handling this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, I mean, it definitely rings true with me. Um, the last two and a bit years since we started Ferris, so we started Ferris well we started talking about ferris in like spring of 2018 um and then actually like put the paperwork in and i think the company was officially founded like october 1st 2018 so it's been like two and a half years since we started like actually seriously working on it and more than two years now since we've been fully operating as a company and it's been we've gone from being like five people to start off with where now we're we're much closer to uh, i've taken some time off and we're working on hiring someone right now so we have between 12 and 14 people depending on on how the progress of that hiring is going right now um but yeah it's been it's been stressful man <laughs> um especially because we've we've been like trying to do a lot of stuff like you said and it's been a real challenge and i realized this year especially with all the corona stuff going on that it's really caught up with me so i'm actually i mean i said i'm i'm going on a bit of a break the uh, most of the office is going to be off for the next week but i've actually decided to take about two months off so i'm going starting last week and then going until mid-february is the plan right now i'm actually planning on taking some time off and uh catching up with my family i've got a dog i've got a wife and a dog so no kids or anything like that but got some stuff to do around the house uh got a lot of like side technical projects i also wear a lot of hats at ferris so like some days i'm doing management stuff some days i'm doing pr stuff some days i'm doing technical stuff some days i'm doing sales stuff so like also being able to just kind of sit down and work on a couple quiet technical projects is exactly how i recover um so yeah it's definitely something that i realized that i was getting to the point where i was not you can keep pushing harder, but you realize that you're just spinning wheels and like, and that's really, especially for me, very challenging and something that I've run into at previous jobs before. And at previous jobs, I would typically just quit and take a month or two off between starting my next job and realize that, you know, once I started my next job, I felt way better and realized that maybe that wasn't so much of a function of the job that I was at, but rather like how I work at those jobs and things like that. So luckily Ferris being Ferris and the the group being the group there being really excellent when I kind of said, hey, I'm getting to the point where I'm not like I'm showing up eight hours a day, but my brain is not working for eight hours a day. Like it's just a challenge or like find myself staring at an email and spending three hours just to write the first sentence of an email and like realize that I was just it wasn't a, an effective use of anyone's time. And, and the team at Ferris has been really, really supportive of that. And like I basically said, yeah, go come back when you're when you're feeling up to speed. And so I've actually like, as of my last day, I uninstalled all of our email and chat programs and uh, <laughs> been trying to be really good about that. And uh, I'll probably peek and see how everyone's doing before the end of the two months. But uh, I'm super excited that both one, 
the Ferris team is very supportive of that. So that's been, that's kind of the culture that we've been trying to build at Ferris. So it's been really good to see that we've had some other folks do that at Ferris, take some time off and it's nice to have it kind of reciprocated. And for that culture, kind of the proof that that culture is really set there, which as a manager is really like feels warm and fuzzy for me. Um, but also that Ferris is at a point where it's at a level of maturity where if I'm not babysitting it, every hour of the day it's still going to be wildly successful because we've got a really really good team of people there and they're doing really good things on their own which means that like even if i'm gone for two months cool stuff like i'm excited to follow the stuff like knurling and like generally the twitter announcements because i'm just excited to see what everyone is doing for the two months that i'm not there so yeah it's, it's definitely something that i needed and it got to the point where like a couple of things that people post on twitter luckily i also like try to follow people who inspire me on Twitter. And a couple of people were, like you said, just saying, Hey, it's been a rough year. And a lot of people are having trouble. Check yourself. Like if you're, <laughs> if you're not doing well, take some time. And after seeing a couple of those posts that really resonated with how I was feeling, I was like, yeah, that's yep. Sanity check. This is, this is absolutely what I need right now. So it's, it's definitely something that's going on and something to be careful about and something that I, I have a hard time because I really like, I found that I kind of commit like 110% or 0% just with my personality and kind of my way of operation. And I like that, but at some point it just leaves you feeling drained. So I'm working on figuring out how I can do that, but also stay recharged, whether that means like, should I just build in two or three weeks off every six months or something like that? Like just cut all ties. And instead of quitting a job after a year and a half, just like, give myself three weeks notice or something like that and, and go on a holiday and make sure that I'm more stricter with that. Cause like, I've always talked about doing stuff like that, but there was always something going on where I came up with an excuse to not do that. And I think I just need to say like, yeah, it's that, or I need to quit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, cause, cause otherwise it's going to, you, you know, you're not going to be getting the most efficient use of my time or my best mental health or anything like that. Yeah, it's it's something that a lot of people overlook and don't think about it. But I don't know, with time passing by me, you know, work and the endless list of tasks to do, and even life, life can be hard. Uh, if everything is okay with your work and some things is happening in your life, this can you know nudge you. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I've I've had I've had days that. Uh, because of life, I don't have a lot of, uh, I don't know how to say it. Uh, I, I don't want to work basically because of life related stuff. It just, it, it takes all the joy. It, it takes out of out everything that you love about job, your job or, or just the, the possibility to focus on something. And yeah. I wanted to check with you. How is it with you? How are you handling this? Apparently, <laughs> you're taking some time off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about yourself? I mean, I, I know you, you've mentioned some of the same things, but uh, how are you doing and what are you kind of planning to do to make sure that you're taking care of yourself? Uh, yeah, hmm. it was a long and exhausting year for me as well, uh, especially personal life. Uh, we had our first refurbishment done in the apartment 
and it took a lot of energy and it's still not done so <laughs> oh did you do it yourself <laughs> uh no no but it's like little things and something yeah. keeps breaking up or something keeps popping up and i'm exhausted uh one thing i want to change is definitely remove a lot of things on my head on my shoulders uh, because when i have a long list of things to do uh, I think I'm bad with memory and, you know, I have a, a certain throughput in my brain, <laughs> in my time, that if I hit the limit, I, I start to lose focus or I start to lose tasks. I start to break apart, basically. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely lower my uh, issues to handle. And with work, I think it's it's going well. Uh, I rust, yeah, definitely, I think there should be or I think I, I should find more time, but it's not that easy as always. Uh, but yeah, we just uh, published a new Rust app in production. So a <laughs> couple of months already working, uh, not working, but I was working on it for a couple of months and finally it's yeah. in production. So yay. <laughs> Congrats. Yeah, just before the holidays. <laughs> and uh, yeah. It feels amazing. Wow, it's Rust, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if it compiles, it works. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, yeah, I will definitely take some time off now, uh, two weeks. Not a lot, but I think it will be enough. And, uh, two weeks is when I usually start feeling recovered. Like, that's definitely <laughs> like, well, between one and two weeks, depending on, on where I'm going. But I, yeah, I'd, I'd say like two weeks is definitely a good amount of time. It it at least gets you to the relaxed state. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it takes some amount of time in order for you to, to get into the relaxation mode. And I think for everybody is different. Uh, sometimes even in, you know, holidays, you still go do work for life and or some things that you need to handle. And then oh, your time is up and you're back to work and more tasks <laughs> to do. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, that was the, one of the Reading. big things that made me realize that I needed some more time off is because actually I kind of we had a couple. We delivered a couple things and then we had. A couple things that looked like they were going to be tight deadlines. Basically, the customer came back to us and was like, oh, we're not ready. So we need to push back like two weeks, which is it happens. Um, but basically, one of my other business partners was like, hey, you literally have nothing due for the next week. Go take a week off. Like, because like I was definitely like going with that. So I, I took I think I ended up taking like four and a half days off. I think I had something to finish on Monday or something like that. But I took four and a half days. And like you said, like. Saturday, Sunday, after four days off, I was still at the point where I'm like, okay, I just now am feeling like I'm starting to unwind. Like I haven't been recovering this whole time. Like now I've gotten down to zero, but I haven't started going pot or I've gotten up to zero, I guess. And I haven't started going positive. So like, there's definitely one of those things that it, it takes time to unwind and like reset your brain to be focusing on the things that you want to be focusing on. Yeah. Especially now with the, the whole coronavirus and everything. Like I have days uh, which I haven't gone outside at all. And I'm locked inside basically. Or I've only went to the shop across the street and then back and that's all my going out. Uh, and then you have like the your health. Yeah. 
think we have a tendency to forget our health <laughs> and uh, to manage it. So you get to a certain point where, you know, you might be working eight hours and then, oh, my back, my uh, shoulder, I don't know what's happening. Like, no, you know what's happening. <laughs> you yeah. need to take some time for your health. Sitting on a couch like this for 12 hours a day. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah it's, it's not very good. But yeah. Uh, well, yeah, definitely. Like, I hope you you have a good rest and uh, happy holidays. Yeah, and, thanks uh, you too, and and I hope you definitely have a good couple couple weeks. And I'm excited to see the uh, stuff that you're going to build or just not build and enjoy your time to relax. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, Pretty I cool. think uh, focusing like lately. I, okay, I develop stuff in Iron but I really like the idea of handling stuff or helping people or just guiding them through stuff because a lot of people are just getting started or they're like, oh, I want to get my hands dirty with rust. Like, I don't know what to build. Everything's hard or whatever. I want to be the person that helps people like that because this really brings joy. You know, one thing is to, to have a successfully passed test and your, uh, your own application on production or whatever. But it's another thing to help people to learn and have this as a reward. Yeah. One of the most frustrating things I run into is I find the thing that scales the most is writing. Like anytime you can document something or write it up or even like constrain the problem space or something like that, that scales incredibly because anyone can see that. And especially in open source where there's no like I'm assigning you this task, but just like writing down the problem so that someone can visualize it and say, yeah, I think I can do that. Like yeah. it goes a huge way of both taking your time to only like helping them when they get stuck versus like explaining the whole problem space. But it also means that once you explain the problem space once, it means that you can kind of share that information with 10 people. Like, so like a while ago, that's why I started writing a blog and it's like now why I'm starting to do my lab notebook stuff again is because like, I don't have the time to explain a lot of stuff multiple times. And there's, there's stuff that like, I know I should share that because I know like I've done the research and like I could help five people not have to spend the same three days that I spent doing the research. And it's not like anything huge that no one could do, but I've already done the work and like I got lucky that I was able to find certain answers or, or made it at least so far. And then like, but sometimes it's just so tedious. Like, like you said, you just want to be writing code and you want to be playing around and experimenting. It's like, or you could write five pages of documentation and like, especially when it's your free time, like the tendency is so rough to not want to do that. But like, at least I, I keep trying to find ways to make myself excited to write stuff. Cause I think like, that's really the only way that I can see a lot, a lot more of the things that I want to be happening, get done. And so like, I've played around with just brain dumping on Twitter, which was sort of nice for some things, but the searchability of it is, is really rough. Um, like I said, I've started doing more stuff with MD book. Like I have embedded the missing parts which is like me trying to like write down all the stuff that i'm surprised that people don't know but it's not because they're like not smart or anything like that it's just i was really lucky and worked with a couple people who were like oh this is how you solve that problem and they've just never had that person and like i want to be that person for them as well like so i definitely want to um write that stuff out and with my lab notebook like if i've got 20 minutes and i like find the three data sheets that are relevant to the problem. I want to at least like 
okay, well, at least here's a page like wiki style of like, okay, I don't know what, but these are three relevant data sheets. And if nothing else, it might be useful for me to come back to my notes later. But if someone else picks it up and runs with it, I'd be super excited. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think uh, we have that mindset, especially around work deadlines. Like not, not that uh, particularly now I have these deadlines really hard set. I'm really lucky, I guess, even though we're a startup. But you just get this mentality to just ship fast, do fast, you know, make make it ship fast and everything like that. That we we kind of forget how to slow down and you know take a break or look at from above. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, something that uh, we need to learn, right? Definitely. <laughs> As always, learning. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we're at about, well, we're a little bit over time, but it's been awesome talking to you. Before we wrap up, is there anything you want to plug or you want to share or if anyone's watching this that you want them to definitely go look at? Uh, as always, I guess, Aerorust. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, github.com slash A-E-R-O dash Rust? Uh, no, just Aerorust. Uh, okay. Combine. How, how do you say it? One word? Yes. One, one, one word, word, yeah. A-E-R-O-R-U-S-T. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's that's the one. <laughs> okay, uh, it was great talking with you. Uh, have a great holiday time and uh, spend it uh, the most, I don't know, the, 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 the more, nah, how do you say it in English? Uh, in a way that you enjoy it. And yeah. you won't for, for, forget it or regret it. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks so much for talking. I will uh, catch you later and hopefully uh, talk to you again soon. Yeah, see you around. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.